24. Matthew chapter 24. Just before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to speak to us as He would see fit. Lord, we thank You for this time we can have. Uh, Lord, we thank You that we can worship You. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You that it's uh, by Your grace which we can spend all eternity with You. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each and every heart of each believer this morning. Lord, I pray for the one maybe today or the, uh, the some who may be here today who have never received you as their personal Savior. May the Word of God ring clear and with understanding to our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have full, complete reign in each and everything that is said and done. May you be honored and glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, we'll begin looking together in verse number 1. The Bible says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? I want you to notice with me the last question which is asked by the disciples. The Word of God says, what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? You know, it's been debated so much in t today's society as when the end of the world will come. It's been de debated amongst uh, Christians as to when Christ will return, when is the coming of Christ coming, how soon is it? Uh, some would even go as far to debate and say we are living in the end times. Others would say, well, uh, the Christian is not to be living in those end times. God says we're not living in the tribulation or we are living in the tribulation. Others debate back and forth. There's a lot of frustration even that happens among Christians as to when the end of the world will come, when Christ will return and all judgment will come. You know, at the end of the day, we can go back and forth in all of our different views. We could have different opinions, different convictions as to what we believe the Word of God tells us concerning whether or not the Christian will live during the end times. But there is a principle I want you to understand concerning this very idea that does not change and is simply straightforward concerning the Word of God. If you turn with me to the book of Jude this morning, Jude, keeping your finger in Matthew, Jude in verse number 3. There's only one chapter in the book of Jude, so if you've got more than one chapter, well, you don't have the right Bible, amen? Jude, and we're in verse number three. The Bible tells us in the context of the book of Jude all about what we would call the apostates. An apostate is someone who sees and knows the message of the truth, but they turn from it. And the warning is being given by uh, our, the writer here within this passage, and he tells us in verse three, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should notice, earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. If you haven't marked that phrase in your Bible, I would. Earnestly contend for the faith. The principle that's given here is to every Christian, is to every believer. That word contend has the very idea of contention. The idea is that there is going to be a frustration. There is going to be a pushing back. There is going to be a resistance. There is going to be a battle. And God says, 
Christians, may we, in the midst of an apostate, a knowing what the truth is, knowing that there are things in this world, but refusing to believe that God is in it, he says Christians earnestly contend for the faith. It's the idea of standing and defending for something that you know to be right. Amen? It's the idea of standing for what you know to be truth. May I say, Christians, there is a need for every believer to stand in, the, in our day and age to stand for what is right. Can I get an amen? Standing for what the Word of God says. Standing for His truth. Standing for the sanctity of life and, and, how, and, the, and the resistance of, of the abortion and the, the killing of, of newborn babes. Standing for the freedom of speech. Standing for what we know God has told us according to His Word in our place as Christians. Say, well, what about the resistance? Well, that's why God tells us, earnestly contend for the faith. There is going to be a contention. Somebody says, oh, why is it so difficult? What about the things that we're facing? What about all these riots? What about all these fires? What about the hurricanes and the floods and the virus? What about all these things that we're facing today? Can it not be said that the end times we are living in, that God is coming soon? May I say it's very true that every day we only become closer to Christ's coming. The debate Jesus brings to among the disciples is not a whether or not I am coming now or what time I am coming, but, but God's commission and principle which he gives to the disciples is the same that Jude and the writer is giving to all of us as Christians, earnestly contend for the faith. Stand in your place. Stand for what is right. Stand for what you know to be true. When all the world would push against Christianity, push the Bible out of our schools, push God out of our allegiance, push uh, anything about Christianity in the backdrop, may we as Christians stand in our place. Amen? The Bible tells us, contend for the faith. May I bring you to yet another principle along this idea of contending. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse number 15, we see yet another truth. The Bible tells us that in the midst of our contending, that contending must be done in a certain fashion and attitude, a certain way. Ephesians chapter 4, in verse number 15, the beginning of the verse, the Word of God tells us, but speaking the truth in what? Love. You know, Christian, it's possible you can speak the truth, you can contend, you can stand for what is right, but you cannot speak the truth in love. That's very possible. Amen? There are Christians all across the world today that are ruining their testimony for Christ by not being sensitive to speaking the truth in love. The Bible tells us of God's judgment. God is a righteous judge. Amen? That means it's a controlled anger. It's not out of control. God is not just killing people right off. God is not just destroying things up and right. God has a controlled anger, the Bible tells us, and that anger is not upon the individual, but yet it's upon the sin. And so the response should be the same with a Christian, that in the midst of a sinful world and the resistance of Christianity, that we would stand in our place, but yet still speaking the truth in love. I say that's not always easy. How easy it is uh, when, when we're in a, uh, an argument with somebody, I know especially in a brother and sister relationship, you can speak the truth. Oh, you might be right, but you might not be speaking in a loving spirit. And Christian, it doesn't change in the world which we live in today. Amen? May we as Christians stand for what is right, earnestly contend for the faith, but yet speak the truth in love. Matthew 24, as we just read a moment ago, the question was asked, tell us, when shall these things be? 
When will God destroy the temple? When will the end of the world come? Are we living in the end times? You know, the world wants to know the day. We want to know the hour. We want to know the time. The Bible tells us that God so cometh as a thief in the night. And I say that helps me to understand that when God will return for his people, it won't be with our knowing. Does a thief warn you before he comes and robs your home? No. He wouldn't be a thief. The Bible tells us that God cometh as a thief in the night. You say, well, what about the things which we're facing? Are they not, are they not evidence? Are they not marks that, that the end times are coming? Well, this is the very idea, the very subject which Jesus brings us to. And, and I, I, with the Lord's help, my desire is not that we wade into so deeply trying to understand the unknowns of the end times, but that we simply understand what God was trying to bring, uh, an answer to, to, the, to uh, the disciples as to what all these things are about. And so notice, if you would, back in Matthew 24, in verse number 1, the beginning subject began concerning the temple. I want to bring to you three things that Jesus says will be marks of the coming of Christ. Jesus says these things will be marks of the coming of Christ. He does not say directly that you disciples are living during this time. He does not say in the year of 2000 that this is going to be the time. Some of you this morning may say, well, we're definitely living during those times. Well, all of us are, are, are able to come to our own beliefs and convictions as to when we believe the coming of the Lord is, and according to what the Word of God says. With the, the, this time which we're looking in God's Word, the pulpit is not intended for a time of debate, but that we, may we understand what God is telling us from His Word. And so let's look together in Matthew 24, the, yet the first thing found in verse 1, things that Jesus will, says will be marks of the coming of Christ. Number one, the Bible tells us that the, that the desire of the church will change. The desire of the church will change. In Matthew 24, verse 1, the Bible says, And Jesus went out and departed, notice, from the temple. The prior chapters, Jesus has been inside of the temple. The Bible says, And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. They're admiring the massive bricks, doing some study on, on those bricks or those stones which would have been used to build the temple being uh, roughly about 40 feet long, 18 feet wide, weighing tons and tons of pounds themselves, and they're admiring the structure as they're walking out. They say, Jesus, look at how beautiful the temple is. Jesus, look at how beautiful God's house, your house is. Look at the structure of it. Look at the, they're just admiring all of what, what uh, the, the house of God is. And that then brings Jesus to this response. The Bible says in verse 2, And Jesus said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall be thrown down. We would know this. God is already speaking of things that are to come. It is only but history that, that we know to tell us that there, this, and, and, and seeing the evidence of it today, that this temple was destroyed. All that we know to be standing yet today is what we know as the, uh, the, the wailing wall the Romans having destroyed it in, in history. And the Bible tells us that Jesus allowing these things to happen, Jesus foretelling of these things that are going to take place. And one would ask the question, well, why would God allow the destruction of the temple? Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. A parallel passage to just a couple chapters prior to Matthew 24. Luke chapter 19, the Bible tells us this is when Jesus has just made his entry into Jerusalem. 
and the palm leaves are being laid before him as he's riding on the donkey. And upon his entrance, the Bible tells us in Luke 19, verse 41, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. The Bible says when Jesus, before he's even entered into the temple, you were here last week, we looked in Matthew chapter 23 and, and the debate which was gone back and forth between the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, and, and they're trying to corner him and, and, and trying to get him to, uh, to say something which they could accuse him of. That was in the temple. In Luke 19, we see just prior to his entering of the temple, he looks over the city. The Bible says Jesus weeps. Why did Jesus weep? What was the purpose of this weeping? What does this tell us about Jesus? The Bible tells us as Jesus looks over the city, and as Jesus sees the temple, the Bible tells us that he sees, notice, he sees the sin. He sees the sin within the city. It's only about just a few moments later that he enters into the temple. I want you to understand that if the church is wrong, the city will be wrong. If God's house, God's people, God's body of believers are not right, how can we expect America, the United States of America, to be right? Amen? God looks over the city and he doesn't say, wow, look at the house of God standing as a bright place. And God sees and saw before he ever had that debate with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He saw the sin. He saw the hypocrisy. He saw the pride. He saw the self-focusedness of all of the people's attitude. You say, well, what do you mean exactly? Let's look together. We're going to be move back, moving back and forth between these Gospels. In Matthew chapter 21, we see Jesus' entrance of the temple. You say, well, why don't we look in Luke? Because Matthew, being the writer of this passage, he gives us his aspect and really gives us the detail concerning to what Jesus has done. In each one of the Gospels, we see, yes, many parallels, but different views from the writers. And so uh, we're talking about this principle, that contending as God's church, uh, because the desire of the church itself will change the desire for self, the desire for our own pride. This is a mark of the coming of Christ. The desire of the church will change. Notice the first thing in Matthew 21, the Bible tells us, their desire to worship God had changed. Matthew 21, verse 12 through 13, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and brought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said to them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. May I say the same we see in our country today, that churches have turned away from an emphasis upon God. Amen? Our worship is not what it should be. Our worship is not focused centrally upon Christ. I thank God for the wonderful time we're able to have together, even this morning, and lifting the name of God up in, in, in hymns and in special music and, in, and the piano playing and the organ playing. Praise the Lord for those things. May all of the things that have been done be done for His honor and His glory. The Bible tells us in the midst of the temple, there is a lack of desire to give God His rightful place. Once again, if the church is not right, how can we expect the city to be right? If the church is not right, how can we expect America to be right? 
If God's people are not so turned to Christ, how can we expect for God to revive and heal our land if we as His people don't get revived and stirred and going forward for Christ in obedience to Him with the Gospel at the forefront of our lives? God says that the desire to worship God was lost within the temple. This brought Jesus to tears. Oh, may it not be said of us, Christian, that when God looks at our life, that it would bring Him to tears of seeing what more we could be doing for Him. Is it not true that we see in so much of our churches today, there's more of an emphasis upon entertainment than there is upon worship of God? There's more of an emphasis upon man and the music and in, in, in a re- repetition of phrases concerning God, but yet there's no conviction and very little teaching. Amen? Is it not true that, that the church is where it must begin? And I say, Christian, we must make sure that our desire, our desire for God is to worship Him all throughout our life. You see, worship Him is not just within the church. May I remind you, the church or the house of God, the people are the church. Christian, it's our part to stand in our place, to earnestly contend for the faith. Jesus says a mark of the coming of Christ is a lack of desire to worship God. You say, what does that mean? We're living in the end times. That's not what Jesus is saying. We're understanding that the temple, the people within the temple themselves, they had a lack of desire to worship. And we still see that today in the house of God. Notice the second thing in Matthew 23, these, these things which are taking place within the temple. The Bible says their desire to worship God was lost. Secondly, their desire to live honestly before God was lost. In Matthew 23, and all through the chapter, he emphasizes so much upon the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. In verse 27 and 28, he kind of centralizes his whole thought. Notice Matthew 23, verse 27 through 28. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now let me back up for a second. Who are the Pharisees? Who are the Sadducees? Who are these scribes? These are the men of God. <laughs> these are my, who you might call, these are the leaders in the church. These are the laymen. These are the pastors. These are the people that are to be setting the example. These are the people that have studied God's word and they, they could quote the verses that they're tromping themselves around and lording themselves over people and saying, hey, look at me, look at me living for God. These are the people that are supposed to be earnestly contending for the faith. And God says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones, and all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Christian, may this not be said of Community Bible Church, that we would be as the scribes and the Pharisees, hypocrites. That our desire to worship God would be honest, but yet that our desire to simply live honestly before Him in every day of our life would be with a genuine desire to worship God. What I'm trying to tell you is, Christian, we don't just sing the hymns because of tradition. We sing hymns in praise to God. Amen? We don't just have someone come up and sing special music so we can get, applaud them and pat them on the back and say, wow, that was beautiful. 
No, we do it for the honor and praise of God. We don't just have a preaching time and, and a, a special speaker come in or a missionary come in and give testimony or all of these things we don't do for the lifting up of man. We do it for the honor and glory of God. But may I say, churches in America, churches across the world have lost their desire to live honestly before God. God says, here's where the problem lies. It begins in the church. A dishonesty, a hypocrisy. Here you're doing to do all things out of tradition to be seen of men. He says, you Pharisees, you're walking around with your phylacteries, your little boxes on your foreheads filled with Scripture and your, your things wrapped around all of your arms so that others can see that you're clearly living for God. And you wear your robes and you skid up on your platforms and you lift yourselves up on your ivory tower so that everyone can, everyone can look at you and say, oh, wow, how so spiritual. Look at you, they're living for God. But deep down inside, you're hypocrites. He says, you appear to be, as you walk into a graveyard and you see this beautiful sepulcher, this beautiful tomb, all that beautiful marble and all the expense that had gone into it to prepare for the death of that loved one. Beautiful on the outside. But God says, when you look down deep inside in the heart, full of nothing more than dead man's bones. Christians say, what do I do in the midst of this country which we're living in, the frustration, the riots, and the hatred, and the, the, the lack of debates or the debates or, or, or the, the lack of leadership or all, all of these things. What do I do? Earnestly contend for the faith, God says. Speak the truth in love. Live honestly before God and worship God rightfully. Notice the third thing the Bible says, their desire to give to God. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12 and verse number 44. Mark is the only reference to this particular uh, uh, passage of Scripture concerning the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right at the tail end of Jesus' entering into the temple and getting ready to walk out and have this discussion with the disciples, this has just taken place in Mark chapter number 12 and verse 44. The Bible tells us of the widow's might. In verse 44, the Word of God says, For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want." It cast in how much? All that she had. She cast in everything. I want you to notice with me thirdly, there is a lack of desire to give to God. A lack of desire to give to God. Their desire to worship God was gone. Their desire to live honestly for God was gone. Their desire to give to God all was gone. You see, the principle is not what they gave financially. You see, that was the very thing. They were given an abundance, an abundance, an abundance of finance. It's not what they gave financially. It's what they're giving spiritually. Hey, Christian, are we giving all? Are, are we giving everything for Christ? Are we putting our whole self out there? God says, here's a mark for the coming of Christ when you start to see the church falling away from their worship, falling away from their honesty before God and falling away from their desire to give. May it not be said at Community Bible Church that we're the ones who have fallen away. Amen? Earnestly contend for the faith. May I remind you of 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people, that being Christians, which are called by my name, that being Christians, shall do what? Humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn 
Christian, turn from your wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and will hear their land. See, we know Christ is coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible tells us uh, that we know without any shadow of a doubt that Christ will return as a thief in the night, God so cometh. The Bible tells us in Joel chapter 2 that we are to be sounding the alarm because the day of the Lord is at hand. Christ is coming nearer and nearer than we would think and, and nearer than we would honestly like to think. And, and, and for some of us, maybe we would think it would be so soon. Whatever the case may be, understand this once again, the principle that God is trying to bring to the disciples. They say, well, when is the destruction of the temple going to take place? Jesus brings it right back to them. Helps them understand, hey, it's not the exterior of the temple that's the issue. It's the interior. It's not the outside that you should be concerned about. It's the inside. It's not the bricks that hold this building up of Community Bible Church that we should be concerned about. Not the pews, not the pulpit, not the carpet. It should be the people. Amen? It should be us. That we're living honestly before God. That we have a desire to worship. And that our giving spiritually would be a giving of all. And I say the problems in America, yes, could be pointing the finger at leadership. Yes, it could be pointing the finger at, at uh, uh, the riots, at the hatred, at the race, racial uh, frustrations. But ultimately, it points about right back at the church. God says, here's a mark of the coming of Christ. Understand, the desire of the church will change. Oh, Christian, if you haven't seen in churches all across the world, some churches closing down, we're dropping our standards. We're dropping our areas of separation. We're dropping our emphasis upon preaching upon sin and conviction and response on an altar. Amen? Earnestly contend for the faith earnestly contained. The Bible tells us not only the desire of the church that will change, but notice with me number two, God tells us the deception in the church will increase. The deception in the church will increase. Matthew 23, in verse number four, God has yet to even tell them of anything concerning the tribulation itself. Why, you say? Because he's already told them of the temple. The temple has already happened. Those were things to come, but they were not speaking of the end times. So he's not yet brought into subject, as he will later at the end of the chapter, in, into what exactly is going to take place concerning these things. But in verse 4 and 5, he speaks of those initial things. The deception of the church will increase. Verse 4 and 5, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man, what? Deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. We see the second mark of the coming of Christ is the deception within the church. Do we not see the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, Catholicism, all the different religions, the cults that have sprung up? We're worshiping the true God. We're worshiping God, Jehovah. We're worshiping the one and only true God. Many false Christs, the Bible tells us. We see that today. God says, take heed. Lest any man deceive you. If you turn with me once again to the book of Jude, he speaks more of these deceivers. Once again, it's these apostates. These individuals who, knowing the truth, 
these individuals who knowing what's right or, uh, and simply yet refusing to live for what is right. These individuals who refuse to even believe that anything's right except for what they think. These are these apostates. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, the word of God tells us, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and what? Worse. The Bible says deceiving and being deceived. Oh, Christian, understand this. The day of Christ's coming matters not. What matters is that we're living for God today. Amen? You say, wait, aren't you looking forward to Christ's coming? Yes, I'm looking forward to that day. I look forward to the day that I can be with Christ and worship Him and be together with Him and, and hold His hand and, and eat together with Him and, and commune with other Christians. What a wonderful day that will be. But my Jesus, I shall see when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. What a day, glorious day that will be. But God says, understand until that day there will be deception. Notice what the word of God tells us in Jude in verse 4. And there are certain men crept in unawares. Understand that word crept, creeping. They're not wanting to be known, necessarily seen. It's, it's, and if they are to be known, it's not with any good intention. Crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Notice, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That lasciviousness is... Men doing what they believe is right in their own eyes. <laughs> Burning down buildings. Painting on walls. Riding, looting. Deception and leadership. Doing things behind the scenes with no men knowing and trying to cover it up. Be not deceived, God says. The Bible says, notice in verse 8, that these apostates, they defile the flesh. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers, they defile the flesh. This is speaking of the very fact that they have no pure thought. In fact, verse 10 continues that thought, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Notice, he compares them to brute beasts, animal-like, monstrous-like, there's no human Christ-likeness within them. The Bible tells us God gave man dominion over this earth not to become as the beasts, but that we would be, uh, that, but that we would have dominion. We were made in God's image. Do we not see in society today the dumbing down of man's dominion? The loving of the creation before the creator? Amen? The, 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 the loving of, of animals, plant life, before mankind himself? Do we not see uh, today in our society clearly that there are men and women that are living beyond God's intended, their own nature? Romans chapter 1, if you want to look at these verses with me, God speaks concerning these, uh, the, these Christians themselves within the church, within God's house, who were living 
an unnatural, unintended God way as these brute beasts. They defile the flesh. The Bible says Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Romans 1, verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For God... For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Hey, this is in the New Testament itself. Not long after, Jesus himself has just spoken these words after walking out of the temple, and he says that there were men, there are women that are doing things against their own nature. Men living with men, men marrying men, women marrying women, women living with women against their own nature. He speaks even in this passage of, of, of men with animals, women with animals, and the, the sexual sins which took place, defiling the flesh, God says. See, what do we do? As Christians, what do we do? Earnestly contend for the faith. The Bible tells us as Christians that there is a deception in the church and it will increase. And do we not see that today? The ever-increasing agenda of homosexuality and the pushing of it uh, uh, in our schools and the pushing of it in Hollywood, amen? The Bible tells us God created man and woman, amen? Male and female. That's God's intent in marriage. That's God in, God's intent in creating men and women. Not that we would defile the flesh and do that which is right in our own eyes, giving to the sin of lasciviousness. The Bible tells us they defile the flesh. In Jude, verse 8, the Bible continues, likewise, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. And he continues, they despise dominion. They despise dominion. That word despise means to reject by turning one's back on. The dominion is speaking of that individual who is in authority. How relevant this is the day in which we live in today. Amen? You say, are you saying that God's coming? I don't know the day or the hour which Christ is coming, but God says there will be marks. There will be marks in the day in which we live in that will be clear. And the sins themselves will increase the, de the, the defiling of the flesh and the despising of dominion. The refusal to follow the God-ordained leadership. We talked about this last week. The Bible tells us that God has ordained the authority before us. We're living in a society of people, they don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to take orders. They want to do whatever they believe is right in their own eyes. And nothing has changed today as it has also been in, in the New Testament. The Bible tells us those sins were just as prevalent then as they are today. Amen? The Bible says earnestly contend for the faith. He continues in Jude in verse 8. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. If you turn with me to John chapter 19, as I was studying this passage, I thought to myself, you know, he's saying the same thing as despising those who are in dominion. 
not, not quite. Speaking evil of dignities, yes, it's those to whom honor is due. Yes, it's that God-ordained authority. Yes, it is those who have dominion over us. The Bible shows us Jesus' response. Now listen to this, catch this. Somebody says, wait a second, how can I follow an authority that's, that's uh, not, not leading as God intends for them to lead? It's so hard for me to contend for the faith. How can I truly respect and honor any position? Notice how Jesus himself responded to an authority that was out of control. That was not in God's intent. John 19, verse 10. Then saith Pilate, boy, he wasn't doing what he was intended to do as a leader. There was a lot of hypocrisy, corruption that was happening among there, amen? Then saith Pilate unto him, speakest thou not unto me, Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee? I have power to release thee. Notice how Jesus answers. Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. In other words, Jesus is acknowledging two things. He says, first of all, God's given you, authority, you the authority that you have. It didn't come from you. Jesus says, secondly, the authority that God has given you, because God has given it to you, I'm not going to speak up against you. The book of Isaiah tells us when Jesus was reviled, he reviled not again. When others pushed back, when others spoke against, when others mocked and ridiculed and hated, ripped his beard out of his face and slammed a crown of thorns into his head and pierced those nails through his hands and through his feet, the Bible says Jesus responded not. But yet he spoke the truth in love. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. God spoke in love. Christian, the principle doesn't change for us. As Jesus looked at the God-ordained authority before him, he, knowing his place in respect to God the Father who ordained that authority, he said, I'm not going to speak my place. The Bible says, these ones, this deception within the church as it increases, the Bible says they defile the flesh. They despise dominion. They'll speak evil dignities. They refuse to give honor to where honor is due. Christian, may this not be said of us that we would refuse to give honor where honor is due. God says, render to Caesar to whom is Caesar's. As to God, to what is God's? Because God ordains all authority above us. Christians, we are needed now more than ever. We have a responsibility now more than ever to stand in our place. Even in the midst of the authority that's above us, the ones who we don't agree with, and all the frustration and the chaos and the ridicule that exists in the world today, we are needed now more than ever to stand in our place as Christians and earnestly contend for the faith, stand for what is right, stand for God's word, speak the truth in love. Because there will be those who despise the flesh. They despise dominion. They despise and speak evil of dignities. God says, beware. These are in the church also. God says, beware. There are ones who, knowing the truth, they refuse to speak the truth. Along that same principle, speaking the truth in love. Those apostates. Christian, may our testimony of Christ ring loud and clear by the way we live our life, by the way we speak of Christ, may others know what God has done for us. And that God desires for all men to come to know him. 
Now, God loves all the world, all people, even the people whom we don't agree with, even the things which we don't understand, that God has forgiven all, that God has, has uh, given us the opportunity to speak for Him. The Bible tells us the last thing here, the distractions of the church will increase. We understand the desire will fall away, the deception will increase, the distractions will increase. In Matthew 23, in verse number 6, the Word of God says, And ye shall hear of wars and of rumors of wars. Hey, there's going to be wars going on all around you. And there are going to be people that are speaking of wars that aren't really happening. There are going to be people that are making war of things that there's nothing to give war about. God says, don't let the wars, don't let the rumors, hey, don't let the battle in debate, don't let the fake news distract you from doing what you know is right. Amen? The Bible tells us, as God assures us these things in the midst of the days which we're living, he tells the disciples the same thing. There will be wars and rumors of wars. He says, you have nothing to fear why he says in verse 6, wars and rumors of war, see that you be not troubled. How many Christians do we see all across America, no, uh, unseen like any other time in our country, fearful and afraid? We're afraid to go out of our houses. We're afraid to speak hardly anything. Some of us will say, I'm not even going to vote. <laughs> I'm not going to speak my mind. I'm afraid. I don't agree with any of it. Amen? Do we not see that today? Let me tell you, Christian, earnestly contending for the faith, standing in your place is voting. Standing for what you believe is right. Can I get an amen? Christian, you should vote. If, if, you, if, you're, not, if you're not lined up or planning to vote, you should. As a Christian, earnestly contending for the faith is voting. The Bible tells us we have nothing to fear. You say, what about all the people in the midst of COVID-19? They're all fearful and afraid. Well, Christian, you shouldn't be. God says, in the midst of what we're facing today, we have no reason to fear. We have the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Amen? We have the peace of God to share with others. We don't have to be troubled. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to worry. You say, yeah, but the, the, the time is coming. Well, the judgment is coming. God says, the judgment's not upon his people, not upon the Christians. God says, judgment's upon the sin. Amen? God says, I love all. My desire is not to destroy the earth. God says, if I wanted to destroy the earth, I would have already destroyed it. If I wanted mankind gone, I would have already burned up the earth and built a new world. If that was my desire, I would have done so. But God says, "For I love the world that I gave my only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in me should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me tell you, Christian, God loves you. And so we should love others in Christ. And so we in our love from God and our love to God have nothing to fear. Let me tell you, you may be here this morning and you don't know for sure that you're a Christian. God tells you, you don't have to be afraid. Amen? God's prepared a place for you in heaven. God says if you put your faith and trust in Him, 
you acknowledge before him that you're a sinner and you receive him into your life, God says you can have that peace which passes all understanding. You don't have to fear of any judgment to come. You don't have to fear of that eternal fire. The Bible tells us we have nothing to fear as Christians. Those who know the Lord have an eternal and promised place with Christ in heaven. Notice the second thing. The Bible tells us that Christians have nothing to fear. Number two, God tells us that he is not finished with his people. God's not finished with his people. Look at verse 6. He continues, That ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. The disciples said, tell us when the end is. When is the end of the world? The end is not yet, Jesus said. You say, well, are we not living in the end times? Well, maybe we are, Christian. I don't really know. Only God knows when he's coming. I don't know if these are the, these are the, the signs, uh, the, these are the evidence that God's going to be here at any moment, any hour, right today. I believe that he could come at any moment, any hour. But I don't know that for a fact. Here's what I do know, that he's not back yet. <laughs> that he's not returned yet. That God has left me to continue on this earth and to live for him. And as long, Christian, as long as we live upon this earth, we must earnestly contend for the faith. Stand for what is right. You've got nothing to fear, God says. You've got uh, no reason to understand anything less or more than God's not finished yet. Let me tell you, Christian, when you go out with that principle in mind that God's not finished, your whole perspective of life changes. Because you now no longer look at our leadership. You now no longer look at the people who are breeding sin in our world, in our society. You now no longer look at them and say, wow, they're never going to turn to Christ. But you say, God's not done with them yet. There's still hope. Amen? God could still save them. God still loves them. God has forgiven them. May we as Christians do our part to reach the lost for Christ to reach the ones who are resisting, who are contending against Christianity. God says, if my people will humble and pray. Christians, stand in your place for what is right. Stand for God. Stand in our country. Speak the truth in love. Notice the last thing. We have nothing to fear, God says. God's not finished with his people. Number three, the judgment, the Bible tells us, will be worse than can be imagined. Look at verse 7, if you would, Matthew, in Matthew chapter 23. The Word of God says, uh, for the nation, for nation shall rise against nation. We should be in Matthew, I think I said 23, I believe it's 24, we're in Matthew 24. So sorry about that. Verse 7. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes, and divers places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Somebody says, are you pre-trib? Are you post-trib? What are you? What do you believe? Tribulation is coming? Are we living in the tribulation today? God says, understand this. Whether we are or we are not, that's not for man to know. God's not done yet. We don't have to be fearful. And God says, these are only the beginning. Hey, let's, let's just... Uh, let's just believe that we are living in, in, in the times when God could come at any moment. Let's just believe that Christians are living in the tribulation for, for sake of just understanding this passage. God says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. We don't even know 
We, don't even, we haven't even comprehended all of what God will send in judgment. Does any man fully understand all that God gives us in the book of Revelation in the end times? We don't understand all of it. Now, some things we know, but we don't understand all of it. You say, well, when is it coming? Are we living in these times? Do, what is the answer? God says, here's the answer. Understand, the church has lost their desire for worship. God says, here's the answer. Understand, there are dis- deceiving apostates in the church, in God's house, claiming to be speaking the truth, claiming to believe in God, but yet not speaking for God. And God says, understand, there will be distractions. Hey, there will be things all around the world that we face during our day and age that we won't understand, that are so hard for us to comprehend why. It will be hard to even follow the leadership that would be before us. God says, don't let that distract you from your purpose. God says, I'm not done. These are only the beginnings of the sorrows. You have no reason to be troubled. God says, I'm not done yet. And Christian, as God is not done yet, so our place in standing as a Christian, contending for the faith, should not dwindle. Amen? Lord, I pray that you'd help us to apply each and every of these things to our hearts. May we stand in our place as Christians. May we do what is right before you. May we do all we can to go forward with the gospel. Christian, if you're here this morning 